found it. It's the Japan Wood Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. It's me, Matt Bigelow, at MatthewPMBigelow.com, where you can go for all of your Japan What needs. Coming at you from the main studio today in the Tomihisacho Studios in Tokyo, Japan. And I am having what you are having. My first one of, it's my first, I'll admit, I'm having a beer. It's my first, instead of what you're having, Mr. or Ms. Listener, uh, it's my first alcoholic drink in about a week and a half. Ah, pretty good. Just tastes like a beer. Um, I'm having the uh, the Suntory uh, Nama beer, the the triple Nama. I don't know what that means. It's, they just have cool cans. They look like kegs. Um, I haven't taken a week off of any sort of um, mind-altering thing except caffeine. You know, I had some green tea and some coffee over the past week and a half, but I haven't been like Mr. Sober in a long time. Even if I just have one or two cocktails to unwind myself at the end of the night, um, that's one thing. But uh, to completely forego the the twisting my head at the end of the day or throughout the day, been uh, I'll probably I'll say I'm 42. It's it's probably been about 20 years, <laughs> uh, just because of the lifestyle I was leading, being a musician and a writer in university, an English teacher and a musician in Japan, and then working in tech. It's just like it's it's a boozy lifestyle. What can I say? But I, I actually I like I think I'm gonna stop the the home drinking and I'm gonna stop. I'm going to be just like Mr. Boring, but I, I quite like it. I was surprised how much I like it. Uh, so I'm going to continue on with that. Anyways, not today. Uh. Anyways, this is, of course, the Japan What Podcast. We cover AI news, trends, news analysis, economy, and more um, from the uh, prospect of somebody in Japan who kind of knows about this stuff uh whoever wants to listen to it we were we were doing pretty high in the chartable charts for the past couple of weeks getting into the top not not top 50 but close in the top 50 and then hovering around there and then it drops out depending on how frequently you upload and i was pretty sick last week so i'm not surprised that we you know we didn't shoot to the top of the charts let's take a look at the new product um let's what, what could it possibly be Wagyu vending machine. Now, this comes to us from the Mainichi. Uh, I'm, I used to do just hate reading from Sora News 24, but I don't know. I kind of get bored with it, and they, they seem like good people. So, Okayama, a pink vending machine that was set up in Okayama this spring has become the talk of the town for offering vacuum-sealed frozen packs of brand-name Wagyu beef grown in the same prefecture. I don't know about you, but I really like Wagyu beef. Oh, you can grill it. Oh, ah, the fillet steaks. It's some of the best stuff in the world. A lot of people like a good chewy steak. There's this marbling that goes on with the Wagyu beef where like the fat and the meat are marbled together. It's called marbling. I really like it. What I like to do especially is take 
strips of Wagyu beef, cook them in Nihonshu, in sake, cooking cooking sake, and, and mixing it with uh, udon. And then the beef taste we mixes with the Nihonshu, and you put it with udon and then some uh, garlic and uh, tsuyu, a type of um, omami uh, sauce. And, oh, it's so good. It's just a way to take your breath away. Morioka Meat Shop in the Okayama Prefecture city of Tsuyama, a popular among locals for offering Japanese black Wagyu beef at affordable prices. Set up the vending machine in the Omotecho Shopping Street in the city of Okayama's Kita Ward. Very specific. The machine is filled with seven types of Tsuyama Wagyu beef items, including steak and burger patties. Wagyu burgers, the best. You don't even need, you don't need mayonnaise, you don't need anything. A lot of people will say, well, what about some onions? It's like, you don't even need that. You just need the Wagyu patty and a bun, and you're in heaven for days. Oh, including, as well as a local specialty, dried meat in vacuum-sealed frozen packs. They are sold for 1,000 to 2,000 yen, roughly 17, 7 to $14. Morioka meat shop owner Hideaki Morioka, wow, okay, 60, said of, the reason, said of the reason for starting the vending machine business, quote, it's not so much about my shop's profit, but more about helping out cattle farmers struggling due to sluggish sales. For a starter, I set up the first vending machine in pink. The same color as my shop. <laughs> He's on brand. Morioka restocks the vending machine once a week, but to his surprise, many items apparently sell out. He says not only the vending machine has gained regular customers, but he also sees more customers coming to his store and online shop. Feeling confident from the vending machine's success, Morioka also helps livestock farmers set up their own machines to promote, quote, the sixth sector industrialization. Never heard of that before, where those in primary sector also handle manufacturing and sales in a comprehensive manner. Quote, I owe the farmers a lot and I hope I can be of help to them. End quote. Morioka commented. Call his shop for more information. Are you ready, podcast listeners? At 0868219196 in Japanese. That is 0868219196. That is in Japanese. The um, so that comes to us from the Okayama Bureau of the Mainichi Japan. Now, I think a lot of people get put off when they go to find an expensive item and there's somebody waiting behind the counter. Like, should I get the should I get the super wagyu or should I just go and be kind of ghetto wagyu and get the burger? And then there's a person waiting there and they're like, Yeah, what's it gonna be? Uh, but if you can just surreptitiously saddle up. And you have like an extra 20 bucks in your pocket. And you're like, oh, I'm going to bring home some Wagyu. Yeah. And then you can look at the options. And there's no kind of human face threatening you from a local shop going, what's it going to be? You know, even though the customer doesn't knows that that's not the case. And the, the sales representative knows that that's not the case. It's kind of the feeling of the case. You know, when you go up to somebody and you're like, hey, I want this meat in this case. And they're like, case by case. You're like, get out of here. I don't need this case. Uh, but with the vending machine, you just walk up, look at this beautiful cut of meat and say, I think I'm going to put that in my belly. Yeah. And I might even go to the uh, the automated uh, convenience store, buy a bottle of whiskey to go along with that. So that is today's uh, product. What, what do you think? Would you buy high-quality, frozen Wagyu from, the conven- from a vending machine? How convenient can it get? 
I would. I would definitely do that. There needs to be more of this type of um, automation. This is like true future stuff to me. It's not about some sort of tracking device that you put in a van and it automatically drives to people who you think need beef. It's just like uh, the supply chain exists to carry these products to market. We preserve them in a case and you put money in and you get what you want and then leave it. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Moving on to the next topic. We've got a lot to cover today. Um, This one is big. We'll focus on the economy because there's some great things going on and I want to cover them. That's not the economy jingle, silly. Here we go. That is. Ever since I haven't been drinking as much, I find myself being more like, oh gosh, oh silly. What are you, what are you doing with those silly knees over there? But when I'm drinking too much, I'm like, those knees are like decapitated goblins and they need to go. <laughs> Such a crazy difference. Hey! You silly knees. Um, let's take a look here. This is oh, are you gonna load? Oh, probably not. <sighs> I, I've been using these alternative browsers um, that uh, go against tracking, um, but sometimes they don't update the browsers for a long time by these kind of you know younger companies. And the big tech solutions find workarounds like they can identify. Oh, you're not using Chrome. They all want to use Chrome because of all the cookies and the tracking and stuff like that. And then these websites now don't really load up as much as they used to. So, anyways, I had to switch browsers there. Toyota shareholders reject climate resolution in win for automaker. It's going to kind of be a theme for today's show. Is um. The, 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 we always hear this idea of act locally, but think globally. And everybody kind of goes, I think I like that, but I've never understood it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I act, think locally, act locally, think globally. Oh, the thing that you buy has an impact. It's like, okay, I, I, what, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, Just because I'm buying some sort of trinket from this, little person in the park at a fair uh, that has is like the butterfly effect. Like the, the butterfly is going to make a typhoon. Is that what you mean? What do you mean by think locally? I, I think anything with the word global in it is um, poison now. So when people say think locally, but act globally or, or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what they try to say is like, yeah, you can think you're independent or you can kind of believe what you're doing is is on your own scale, but actually you have no control over anything of what you do. And we're, we're, we're coming up with these stupid sayings that everybody can repeat so that we can kind of slave train you into thinking that you are autonomous, but really not really okay so that's what that means um but today's today's theme goes against that where the idea of um, local people think locally uh, despite what the global audience thinks about those people so um a lot of people are saying you know oh that we got to go electric even though when tesla goes all electric everybody hates elon musk right why um or, or uh, oh, we're so behind. We need to do better. Uh, we need to catch up to Estonia in terms of digitalization. Or, oh, Sweden has has parity between the sexes for work. We we need to be more like Sweden. But, like, what, what we're in Japan and we're not like Sweden. We're very different. But we're global now, you see. So, the, but what I, what I want to say is, 
the the percep the global perceptions on a local population are often very different from what the world would perceive it to be despite you know uh, oh japan is a g7 country and we need to be more like europe you know we need we need to be more like like the europeans or do we why what does that mean when you ask them what is a european they don't know how to answer you but um going on with the economy recently and with the lgbtq stuff it's it's all like um climate change and trans rights those are like People kind of hold these ideas, you know, from the global audience looking at Japan as major things. And then they can come to Japan or they can read about Japan or they can be in sort of a, in a sphere in Japan and believe that these things have very much weight to them. But the average person in Japan who might just be an auto mechanic or um, might be like a secretary at a mid-sized company, they, they, they're they aware of these things, but they, it's not like they know that how to think about them as deeply as a lot of Western or global audience people do. They kind of say LGBTQ, yeah, I think that's fine, but I don't really know what it means. But I'm more focused on this other thing that is really focusing my attention on what the world or what I need to what is important in my life. So um, you, you kind of come to each other with a mutual understanding, but one person's understanding has a major weight on, on their consciousness and the other person, it just might be a, a pebble in their in their pocket, if that makes sense. So let's take a look here. Toyota City on June 14th. Toyota shareholders rejected resolution urging greater disclosure of its climate lobbying on Wednesday. Voting down the first investor proposal to come before the automaker's annual general meeting in almost two decades. Investors also backed all 10 members of the board, including Chairman Akio Toyoda, despite concerns about board independence raised by prominent U.S. proxy advisors. I covered this with the 7-Eleven board meeting a few uh, weeks ago where some activist investors who own 4.4% of the company suddenly say, despite the record profits, this person isn't making enough money and they're not doing enough, so we want them gone. We just want them gone. So you have like these tiny little proxy groups that enter into the uh, you know, they try to take over the salami slicing, the the, the top echelons of these companies. And, but a lot of these companies now are realizing you start giving up these salami slices, pretty soon you don't have any salami left. <laughs> uh, investors also backed, uh, oh, sorry, uh, the breakdowns of both sides, uh, both votes won't be released until Thursday. And we're, rec we're recording this. It could have been Thursday, last Thursday, but we're recording this on uh, June 20th, or you think that's a Juneteenth, and this was released on, updated six days ago on June 14th, so I don't know, what what is Thursday, Reuters? This is from Reuters. The climate resolution was submitted by Danish pension fund Akademiker Pension and two other European asset managers and sought to make Toyota release more details about its lobbying activities related to climate change. Now, why do these companies need to lobby for climate change? It sounds like uh, people, like, like I said, chewing off parts of the company and turning it into something it's not supposed to be. 
Um, Toyota cars are some of the most reputable cars in the world. You don't need to replace them hardly ever. So that affects the carbon footprint, right? You don't need to, you don't need a new car every three or four years. They don't break down. And they are innovating like nobody's business into a lot of next gen technologies. They're just not they're just not going along with like the the the, the lemming horde uh, of everything that is these days. These days, uh, the whole COVID thing, where we all needed to get vaccinated seven times, and then finally we might be able to say, now you can take your mask off when you're by yourself in your car. A lot of people are kind of going, if we continue this mentality. We are we are so screwed. We are done. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that companies like Toyota are standing up against it. It was widely expected to fail after Toyota's board recommended shareholders vote against it. The Toyota's uh, the automaker manager management typically enjoys strong support from shareholders, which includes some of its groups, companies, and suppliers. Still, the proposal sharpened focus on Toyota's electric vehicle strategy and governance ahead of the meeting. The first under new CEO Koji. Now, I did a profile on Koji Sato a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and he is, uh, it appears to me, he is a through and through engineer. And he loves seeing Toyota cars being prototyped and put onto race tracks. And he's, he seems to be just all about like one of those like super engineer Japanese dudes who wants to know all about all of the components, how they operate with each other and how efficient and how fast and how cool does that make the end product, in this case, vehicles. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some part of them who says like, who thinks, uh, and this is me speculating, yeah, we have this green thing. We don't want to be too crazy with pollution, so we have to pay attention to it somewhat, but the main focus should be on engineering and product delivery. And if that reduces emissions in the long run, then aren't I making the right choices? Dot, dot, dot. Green investors and activists have said Toyota has been too slow to capitalize on the surging popularity of battery electrics. Despite kind of, you know, with the Prius being one of the first companies in the world to mass release a, a, you know, a dual engine, a gas, a internal combustion and battery powered. Some influential U.S. funds, including uh, top public pension CalPERS, had come out in favor of the climate resolution. But anyways, I'm not going to read the whole thing here because it just goes on and on and on. But as we can see, there is a growing um, backlash against uh, stupid green activism that just aims to kind of say, hey, you're not doing enough. Stop what you're doing and do more this way. And like, what do you mean more that way? Well, we want... We want 90,000 wind turbines in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Like, that makes no sense. I'm supposed to give up all these cars and join you on some utopian ferry journey? Pound sand and take your money with you. It's going to destroy us in the end. Uh, so that's that economy news. Now, to follow up on this, I uh, have a complete um, uh, different um, profile about electric cars and stuff like that. And this comes to us from um, Serpensa. Now, I have to just set this up for a second, but Serpensa is a 
South African um, gentleman who lived in China for a long time and made a lot of documentaries there. And he likes to expose uh, China's um, frenanglings, China's wrongdoings when it comes to being out and out liars. And he has a doozy of an article here on uh, YouTube that he's published uh, in connection with other people. And uh, basically what it is is, Hold on. I, I did this report a few weeks ago about BYD, which is, an, which is a major Chinese automaker. Um, and their sales are just going crazy. They are going way, way high. Um, uh, China's B. this comes to us from Bloomberg on MSN.com from 13 days ago. China's BYD is racing toward the top of global, sorry, of global EV market. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean indeed? Well, Mr. Serpensa alleges, and this has to do with lots of video footage coming out, that BYD is actually via car share companies selling thousands and thousands and thousands of their electric cars to a quote car share company and then the car share company takes all those cars which are sold and registered and puts them into a field and leaves them there and nobody ever goes into these cars nobody ever drives them they're just there so in order to appear as if byd is rivaling tesla in terms of sales all they simply did was via a, another company, a, a share company, provide that share company with thousands and thousands of cars and then they just dump them into a field. And that's how they're getting their sales numbers up. I'm going to be linking to this article. You have to see this. And uh, I'll be posting some of the screenshots onto the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Now, this is not the first time that sort of Chinese tech companies have taken advantage of sort of loopholes. Uh, back in 2016, 17, 18, when ride sharing for bicycles became a super major trend in China and then subsequently throughout the rest of the world. We have them in, in Japan now too, and it's done in a very regulated, safe manner uh, through the especially Docomo uh, bike companies. It's easy as, as, as all uh, hell to get into that. But anyways, in China, they certain companies would just buy a million and two million bicycles, for, for example, and then just dump them into a, a giant parking lot somewhere or just put them all on the streets of the cities. And then another company would say, wow, that's great business. They would do the same thing as well. Now, what this does say is that it says to investors, hey, we have 5 million shared bicycles and this other company has 3 million shared bicycles. It's time to start investing in shared bicycles. And then people would invest in shared bicycles. The companies would buy more shared bicycles and then just put them on the streets or dump them into the fields. And eventually you could find pictures and footage of hundreds of thousands of bicycles just piled up in these giant lots. And it even became like where you could identify market share. Like you could, they would fly drones over these, over these lots filled with bicycles, like thousands and thousands of bicycles. And all the bicycles had different colors on them based on their company, yellow, green, blue, or whatever. And because they are in these parking lots and organized by company into these abandoned bicycles, 
it almost became like a pie chart. Like it was a meta example of a pie chart where you could say, oh, that yellow company is a major player, that green company in this city, not so much, just by the sheer amount of volume of abandoned bikes that were organized into these lots. So I don't know and I can't verify if all of these um, BYD cars are in fact, the sales are, are manipulated, but it does stand, it does, does go to stand that this type of trend has occurred in China in the past. One of the issues raised with this new model of just taking a thousands and thousands of electric vehicles and putting them into a field is that uh, uh, bicycles are relatively easy to produce and there is waste, but the amount of waste that would go into just dumping cars, like the the batteries themselves, the, the procurement and, and the manufacture of all these batteries, and then just to leave them in a field somewhere, it's very, so not good. Basically, what I'm trying to do is compare the Toyota approach here, which is saying, we're gonna we're we're gonna manufacture the the best vehicles we can and export them to as many people as we can, and that's gonna be a good business model overall. And we're not gonna we're gonna say no to the climate cult. Once you buy into the climate cult, so many people will just give you a free pass. Oh, you are a Chinese electric battery company car thing. Well, you're a startup and you're rivaling Tesla now. Good for you. You care about the environment. You can do whatever you want. Pat them on the head. Meanwhile, they have a buttload of nefarious plans. And uh, all it means to say is to capitalize on your emotional investments to shove them up your way. Yes. We're going to move on to something else. Um, couple of other um, headlines from the economy before we just move on. China steps up game with first, quote, floating oil factory. Very interesting there. And Japan exports grow unexpectedly on solid car sales, go figure, but global demand still uneven. Uh, you can find all of these links at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Speaking of which, have you ever considered donating to the Japan What Podcast. Of course you have. And we make it easy for you. If you have PayPal, Japan What is available on PayPal. It's paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Or you can use a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. It's the next wave of podcasting apps. You don't need all those other apps. Go to Podverse. Go to CurioCaster. Go to Fountain. Import your podcast lists there and join the next wave of developers as we exodus away from big tech and into our own permanent techno class of independent researchers, podcasters, and producers. You can attach a Bitcoin wallet uh, getalby.com uh, the Alby wallet can connect to your Bitcoin and you can send Bitcoin directly through the app to podcasters if they have the lightning mark which we do now if that doesn't work for you that's fine all you need to go is uh, do all you need to do is go to matthewpmbigelow.com give us some traffic check out the links look at the photos you're gonna want to see those pictures of those cars let me tell you it, uh, th uh, pictures are worth 10 billion thousand words 
or nine Satoshis, which are the Bitcoin qualities that you can send us via these apps. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. We're listener supported. I've just had another child and I need your Bitcoin. Send them to me now. After having a break from beer in a week and a half, just having a beer doesn't like, oh, okay, it's a beer, whatever. Let's move on to tech. Um, this one is interesting. As we all, well, we'll just go through this very quickly, actually. Uh, technology, let's do this. Japan made semiconductors skirt sanctions to enter Russia. Domestically made ships avoid export controls via China and other countries. Um, as we all know, the, the the sanctions that we all placed on Russia was going to turn the Russian economy into the ruble into rubble, as Joe Biden said, U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, that hasn't happened. And everything that we throw at this war comes to bite us in the fucking ass. Tokyo, semiconductors made by Japanese manufacturers are still entering Russia, even after... It's investigation into Ukraine, according to an investigation by Nikkei. I'd like to remind everybody that the Nikkei pretends to be a Japanese economics newspaper. In fact, it's just globalist talking points. The majority of the transactions go through third countries, such as China, meaning Japanese laws that regulate direct exports cannot stop the flow of chips. Uh, it's all money, but we can't do anything. Additional measures are needed to stop the indirect flow of goods and make sanctions more effective. Mm, additional measures. The thing that the government is doing is not working. We need more from what the government is doing. Um, do I want to do that? I'm going to skip. Basically, in the past week, uh, let's just take a look at uh, transgenderism. I'm going to stop there. I could get in trouble if I continue that clip. Japan enacts watered-down LGBT understanding law. Okay, so LGBT is on all the boardrooms. It's like flags everywhere around the world. And it's happening in Japan as well, especially on, on the corporate level. Um, the, the government here enacted an LGBT understanding law. Nobody knows what it means. And now the government is less popular because of it. But the government, what I was saying earlier is that there's like this think locally, act globally or whatever it is. It doesn't matter as long as you just imagine yourself kind of giving yourself an, an, an iota of independence while acknowledging you act as this um, unquestioning cog in a giant machine. Um, nobody knows what this LGBT law understands. And then the, the, the leading government, the Kishida coalition with the Komeito, which is a, a Buddhist kind of a backed um, party, they they lose a whole bunch of popularity. But, and a lot of people will say, well, that's because of the hate in Japan. No, the reason why that they're losing popularity is because a lot of people are concerned over personal information that's been exposed in the lead up to digitalization of their health health information. But not a lot of people report on that. But that's what most people are thinking. Like all the grandmas, all the little kind of 50, 60-year-old men and women doing their thing in all the towns and all the little places around Japan that don't interact with foreigners at all. 
they're not kind of going, man, we need more trans people in our town. Like they would, they don't even know that's not even on the top 500 things that they would think about ever. They might look at it on the news and go, oh, it looks like trans is happening. But in terms of their own lives and stuff like that, no. But the fact that somebody from across the country had their personal medical information leaked will enrage them. And they will say, that's not what the government should be doing. How dare they? This is a common thing in Japan, by the way. The mishandling of personal information leads to hatred of you and everything you do. You cannot be trusted because you mishandled my personal information. I gave it to you. You said you would handle it and you screwed it up. And now I'm a sucker for believing you. So this is the kind of the, the deep rooted mentality here. So uh, nobody understands what this LGBTQ Q law even supposed to mean and a lot of people online say well the conservatives watered it down it's like well what is it supposed to do anyway nobody knows uh it's uh you know and people will say to me well you don't you don't support the lgbtq community i'm like i don't even know what that is i i've i live 25 minute walk from uh, shinjuku nichome the LGBTQ capital of Japan. I've been there a couple of times, long time ago, before it was LGBTQ, like this terminology was so um, popular, as popular as it is today. It was just uh, gay and lesbian, like, or, or uh, lesbian and gay. And it would just be mostly gay people just having like a crazy party. And then, um, so that was my experience with the community. Gay people having like gay, homosexual males, having a crazy good time with each other, in Shinjuku Nichome. Uh, but I don't really see a community of these people. So when you say, why don't why don't you support this community? I'm like, well, I have to know what it is first before I support it. Uh, whatever, you know. So nobody knows what it means. Everybody gets lost in the details. And then the, the real reason for things becoming unpopular or popular uh, gets lost in in this debate over something that's like high in our minds but low in our priorities nationally overall with the people and then everybody not everybody but so many people are like hey I don't like this government because they mishand they're mishandling information but that's not getting all the attention it, it's like this understanding LGBTQ law but I don't even know what that means so it creates this giant um um, circular pattern of like, what do we do? What does this mean? And what do we do? Uh, so that's that. You're going to eat the bugs, right? Are you going to eat the bugs? I'm going to eat all the bugs. Oh. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time though, okay? Okay. I just did. Now, this is just a website that I found um, called futurenot.co.jp. And um, this is just Google translated their mission. We will create a market for insect derived foods and contribute to reducing the risk of environmental problems and food crises. So when was the last time Japan had um, food crises? The la they, there was a butter shortage about 12 years ago. That's about it. 
environmental problems. We could say that the Fukushima zone and all that is, uh, is an environmental problem. Uh, in an era of uh, where you can get what you want to eat, you don't dare eat insects, right? This is from their website, futurenot.co.jp. Many people laugh it off. Rather, in Japan, where food loss is becoming a problem, it is difficult to imagine a future where food is in short supply. However, if we look around the world, the risk of food shortages is steadily increasing as the population increases. So this is, again, this think locally, act globally, or act locally, think globally. It doesn't matter what it is. It means, hey, we don't have this problem here, but over in this Pacific island over there, they have the problem, so we have to assume we have it as well because we're all a global community. Like, no, we're not. We are not at all a global community. Not at all. <laughs> um, this is their food business. Uh and live in the entire sales floor with cricket powder. Um, we ex- uh, we deliver high and ins- safe and high quality insect protein raw materials. Future not original products will be delivered to your home. Um, uh, research and business um, academic support for food business success. We aim to add value to edible crickets. And take advantage of the research of a university venture. Uh, mm, we provide total support from procurement of raw material to sales strategies. Uh, take advantage of the research power of University Venture. I just mentioned that. Online seminar. Product of exhibits and teaching materials. Uh, we, so the products are uh, mo- uh, mobile protein chips, uh, cricket powder, uh, cricket chocolate crunch, uh, cricket gaufle, uh, cricket protein sends, a collaboration with Pasco Baguette and Financierias, Cricket Bread, um, Cricket Biscotti, which has been discontinued, and Crickets and Hot Spring Water Chips. So, again, the it, it all seems just like activism, and no, I'm not sure what anybody really needs for this. But again, um, when you I've been following this. Um, this uh, food uh, cricket flour, Daiichi, Mirai no protein, future protein. Oh, that's what they mean. Um, just eat the crickets. You will eat the bugs. Um, it's not so much as a news report, but just another company that is trying to promote their very silly version of because of this food shortage in Somalia, we need to eat crickets now. Don't you get it? Think locally, act globally. Or wait, wait. Act locally, think globally. Wait, wait, wait. It doesn't matter. Just put globally at the end and you will do what we want. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. Let's do this one. We'll just do a quick Japan and Japan news headline blitz. Fukushima nuclear plant begins tests of wastewater release plan. Fishing officials remain opposed. I think they should bottle the Fukushima water as an as a, as a, as a, as a omiyage or as a gift to somebody you love or hate. Now, nice to meet you. Here's some Fukushima bottled water. 
How does that feel? Companies in Japan opting for select offices to work in English. Maybe I can get my old job back. And keeping a Kishida cabinet support rate dives to 48, 40.8% from 47% poll. Um, again, they, they're, they're trying to promote all of this war stuff and all of this economy stuff. And they're all over the map. And then they start mishandling people's information. But that's actually the real one of the main reasons why they don't they can't be trusted with your personal information. So why should you trust them to go to war? They can't you can't be trusted with your personal information. So why should you let them redesign society with a central bank digital currency and all that? If you can't send an email correctly, why should you? redefine what society means and that's what the Kishida um, platform wants to do with their quote new capitalism ideas that's their idea which is just world economic speak and as we can see wherever these world economic fools take hold they become ideologues local people hate them global people love them and nobody wins at the end <laughs> okay Let's take a look at Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. Anyone, anytime. Um, this, we actually have some good news today. Uh, in terms of a society 5.0, I'm actually all in on, on as much... AI as possible for automating human tasks, especially in terms of medicine and things like that. Not so much for consultation, but for um, computer vision and, and imaging and stuff like that. For me, it just makes sense. It, some humans are really good at going over documents. Most humans aren't. In fact, most humans that get jobs looking over documents only got that job because they need the money. And they're not like somebody who says, oh, I finally got a job where I root through documents and I'm looking for key phrases that have no appeal to me at all. But AI doesn't care. And if as long as you program the automated search to, to scan for things like that, it'll get what you want very quickly and deliver it to you in a timely manner. And you, then you don't have to like worry about some person sleeping at their desk, right? I think we can all agree on that. So uh, when I when it comes to Japan Society 5.0 and the World Economic Forum, I think it's a big hard no. But when I look at um, individual researchers or small groups that are manufacturing or creating digital solutions for health and things like that, I'm more willing to give them an ear and, and take a look at what they really want to do. And that's what the case for today. AI in eye care in Japan. I care. I care. I wear glasses. I wear eyeglasses and I care. I care about I care. This is about I care. Do you care about I care? Because I care about I care. 
I care and I care. AI care in I care in Japan. Do you care? Because I care. Does AI care? This comes to us. I'm very sorry. This comes to us from Europe.ophthalmologytimes.com. Um, and this is from Linda Charters and reviewed by Tetsuro Oshika, an MD and PhD. And this is artificial intelligence is going to be highly instrumental in patient care in all medical specialties and will be highly relevant in eye care. Because I care. Tetsuro Oshika. Uh, shed light on how AI will be useful in caring for patients in Japan at the European Society of Ophthalmology in Prague. He is president of the Japan uh, Japanese Ophthalmolog- Ophthalmological Society, president-elect of Asia-Pacific Academy of Ophthalmology, and professor-chairman, Department of Ophthalmology, Faculty of Medicine, University of Tsukuba, Tsukuba, Japan. Now, Tsukuba is a very um, uh, advanced tech hub in Japan as well. So, Ophthalmologists are faced with a number of challenges, specifically an increased number of aging patients and those who rely more and more on excellent vision at all distances and fewer ophthalmologists to evaluate patients as well as the clinicians having the ability to balance their work in their private lives. Um, So he demonstrated that in a great number of cases, the retinal examinations may appear to be normal when in reality, the accuracy of the normal retinal examinations may be totally lacking. When AI is applied to those same normal appearing retinas, early disease states become apparent in 91.1% of the cases. Boom. This is the case for AI. The same thing happened when a Swedish train company put um, computer vision cameras on the bottoms of their trains and started analyzing tracks. They ran through a slew of dog shit that led them through an amazing maze of of false positives. But once they figured all that out, they were able to predetermine which sections of track were, were becoming bad at a very early stage and then replace that with cheap materials instead of having to dig up the whole track again, for example. As a result, maintenance went way down. Cost for maintenance went way down. The tracks became way smoother and they could transport more people and goods on those tracks, resulting in way more money coming into the train company. This is the same case with eye detection using a very similar idea of, of uh, you, if I look at a train track and you say, what's wrong with that train track? I'd say nothing is wrong with that train track, even though I might be a train track specialist. But the AI will notice like a pattern that it's able to identify in the, dig- in, in the pixelization of a photo and compare that in a neural network to other photos that have similar um, patterns in them and say with a certain amount of certainty, this needs to be corrected. And then it can be corrected at an earlier stage. Early stage detection is key for computer vision for AI. It, it could make everything so much better. Oh, I'm over-modulating again. Should I turn down my volume here? Should I turn down my volume? Turn down my volume. Turn it up just a little bit. All right. The same is true for patients who present with uh, corneal diseases. During the standard corneal uh, examination, patients can present and appear to be normal when in reality a number of conditions can be present, infection, infiltration, scarring, and so on. Um, The numbers do not lie. As he demonstrated when he compared the respective AL findings 
percentages of cases diagnosed correctly to those which the ophthalmologists were correct. Normal eyes, um, 94% for AI versus 84%. Uh, infection, 88% for AI versus 75% for human. Infiltration, um, tumors, 98% versus 92%. Pretty close, but if you're in that 98%, you're going to be thanking the AI, right? You found my tumor earlier than the human. Thank you. Acute glaucoma, 100% versus 24%. It goes on. Um, the percentage involving the, present, the presence of acute glaucoma underscore the high clinical relevance of the use of AI in detecting the disease. I'm going to be posting the rest of this document onto MatthewPandBigelow.com. And with all of like the, the, the threats of AI and like the doom and gloom of AI, and it's going to be our friend and then our enemy. And then it will rape me in my sleep and take my job while it's at it. Well, this solution here will be taking some jobs. But again, like I said, it's jobs most people don't want and most people can't even do. They can't even compare a vast amount of data via pixelization of images into a neural network that under that will be trained to understand how certain things develop into the future because humans just simply don't see it that way. How many of us just say, good enough for me, good luck, Mr. Cancer Man, most of us will probably do that because we got a lot of other stuff to do that day. And maybe we don't understand how um, early stage versus late stage is connected in terms of uh, imagery that we see that we can't even identify. But the AI can. Next, Japan industrial robotics industry to grow at Kager 45.5% from 2022 to 2020. Seven. I want to ask you, Kegger. Now, when I was uh, in the telecommunications industry and I was looking at quarterly reports and stuff like that, when I saw something like Kegger or EBITDA or EBIT, I kind of knew that I was um, not in the news world and I was kind of in the real world because that's what these people mean. Now, if you're in the real world, you will understand what CAGR means. If you're not in the real world, you will say, CAGR, uh, do you mean CAGR? Let's go have a beer. CAGR, compound annual growth rate. That's just what it means. Basically, what you can think about it is an, a type of annual growth rate. That's what CAGR is. This comes to us from a trade journal and we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but it says that Japan's industrial robotics industry to grow at a CAGR 44.5% from 2022 to 2027. Of course, 2027, when we invade Taiwan, coming up soon. According to a research uh, report by Japan Industrial Robotics Market by Type, um, this includes traditional collaborative robots, component payload application, and so on. Um, the kegger will grow like that, that rise in aging population to boost demand for industrial robots. Japan is one of the leading producers of electric vehicles in the world. The arrival of fully electric and hybrid cars in the coming years is expected to boost in the industrial robotics market for industrial robots due to new assembly line processes. Also true. 
Due to its growing senior population, there is massive automation potential in Japan. The aging population in the country makes labor costly, increasing the demand for industrial robots. The Population Division of the UN Department of Economics and Social Affairs released an estimate for Japan indicating that its population would dip below 100 million shortly after the middle of the 21st century. Japan is expected to lose 34% of its current population by the end of the century. According to the Industrial Organization of Motor Vehicle Manufacturers, Japan was the fourth largest manufacturer of commercial vehicles in 2018. It also has one of the largest electronics manufacturing industries in the world. According to the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, Japan has strong government policies to promote robotics. Um, and for example, it provides accelerated depreciation on new equipment. I don't know what that means. So that's just another example of how there's these burgeoning, and a lot of people think of robots like we have friend robots or emotional robots. I, I really don't think like that. Um, uh, robots, automation, it's just, it all goes back to automation. Uh, warehouse robots can be a major thing as well. It's proven to be massive. Um, we'll see about this kind of a prediction though. So a lot of these things don't turn out as they plan. Um, and then the, who let's take, well, okay, we'll just do this one. I'll, I'll be posting this at MatthewPMBigelow.com. New international standard for drone traffic management systems. Japan is notoriously anti-drone and it's nice to see them, uh, implementing a strict system where people understand where it's okay to operate drones and where it's not okay to operate drones. There's a lot of helicopter activity, for example, in a place like Tokyo, and I'm pretty sure they fly really low as well. And I'm pretty sure they just don't want all these drones um, invading people's privacy and, and potentially doing other things like that. Um, final one for Japan Society 5.0. This comes to us from japanforward.com. A uh, successful drone test shows potential in disaster prevention and response. Now with AI, medical imaging is one of the main things that can uh, really benefit humanity. And with um, drone technology, especially when you have dro drones connected to networks with cameras, with um, potentially what are those things, thermal cameras and all that, disaster response could be great. One idea that I had would be if you're living in a mountainous community that is susceptible to like landslides or earthquakes or tsunami if you're bordering on an ocean, would be to put a whole bunch of um, uh, in enclosed secured um, boxes, you know, steel boxes, da, 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 a whole bunch of drones in there and then... It, if a certain earthquake happens at a certain magnitude and, it, and if we can identify that a landslide has happened, the drones would just fly out of these boxes, create a, a scape over the city, like a, a, an XY scape, and scan with thermal cameras and HD cameras the disaster areas and then look for heat signatures in those disaster areas for for people who might be trapped and send that information directly to police officers, first responders, ambulance, and all of that. And then the, the, they, the first responders 
know more precisely where to go. Because, you know, if there's a landslide, you know where to go. But if you have heat signatures from within that landslide, you'd be able to get to those people faster. So even though you have, like, this potential, like, uh, psychotic 1984 dystopian hellscape potential of the government always knowing where everybody is depending on where these drones are flying. But if they're released under certain conditions, then people would be open to having it around them. And then if you or a family member is saved by such a initiative, you would probably end up supporting these types of initiatives in the future. And it would create exact parameters of when and when not the monitoring technology with 5G drone, whatever technology would be uh, acceptable and not acceptable. Makes nothing but sense to me. So the idea of uh, disaster prevention with drone technology, it, it just sets the example of exactly where we need to be with this technology. And it's agree or disagree very clearly. Um, and it's not like, hey, we want to follow you around in case you're making a purchase we don't approve. Well, that's a disagree. And anybody who agrees with that can go pound sand. But somebody who doesn't want... So you know, people trapped in a landslide to have a heat signature targeted on them so we can go get them because of some sort of rights violation, well, then that person can go pound sand. So it becomes very clear what needs to be done in such cases. Moving towards, this comes to us from Naoki Otake, and I must say that um, japanforward.com has been doing really good um reporting on Japan Society 5.0 type topics. I've covered them a few times so far, and it seems to me like they got a handle on it. They're the only, oh, I'm sorry, I'm overmodulated. They're the only publication in the country that's doing so, as far as I can tell, uh, and that deserves a, at least some sort of mention, I guess. Japan has entered its rainy season. This comes to us from the article. Known for frequent heavy downpours that persist until the autumn typhoon season. The Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Transport, and Tourism is actively taking measures to mitigate the impact of heavy rain disasters. One of their strategies involves leveraging autonomous small unmanned aircraft, commonly known as drones. In May, the ministry conducted a drone demonstration, achieving continuous flight for over three hours. By extending the flight duration of drones, they aim to gain a more comprehensive understanding of areas prone to sediment related incidents and river overflow that there's you know you could you could sediment related incidents is not really something people connect with japan to japanforward.com what does that mean um excuse me teacher i've just had a sediment related incident <laughs> okay uh on the day of the demonstration a sense of anticipation filled the air um the drone which had completed a flight of approximately three hours safely descended to the ground observers erupted in applause as they celebrated the ministry's first successful attempt at a long continuous flight using a drone um flying beyond the visual range uh, this is a key point for drones if they are operated if you fly behind a building you don't know where that drone is if you have a visual connection, in this case, transmission back to the operator becomes difficult because you're blocked by so many other um, waves interfering with it, as well as um, building infrastructure, you know, walls getting in the way of your signal. Uh, 
Drones have different flight modes. In a monitor placed on the riverbank displayed three-dimensional data on the river and surface topography collected using a laser sensor mounted on the drone. Um, now, video takes a lot of effort to transmit, uh, but laser data is simplified but also highly detailed, meaning you, like a LiDAR system, can easily define the heights and, and the surrounding topography uh, very easily using using drones. And that's what that's been going on for quite a while now. Um, detecting disaster indicators. Does drones also play a significant role in pre-disaster situations? Uh, drones are capable of low-altitude flights. That means they can facilitate detailed surveys, enabling the early detection of disaster indicators. Combining aerial footage captured by drones and three-dimensional terrain data has the potential to identify areas vulnerable to severe damage. Well, this would be something like... If there's a whole bunch of groundwater and you can't see it, but the drone, the laser has some deep penetrating laser and, and you can find out where there might be a whole bunch of, uh, this is what they mean by sediment, uh, sediment that just is inundated by water and then something happens, then that would might cause a landslide or something like that. It's all very technical and kind of boring. I'll be posting some of the screenshots. I'm going to take one right now. But as far as I can tell, um, the Japan uh, Today, it's not Japan Today, I'm sorry. Japan Forward People are one of the few organizations in the whole of the country that actually have a handle on this stuff and report it in a way that makes, it's a little bit overly technical sometimes, but that, that's kind of what the benefits of all this technology is. And I kind of find myself going, if I just talked about chat GPT and how it's going to become a friend or enemy and then rape us, it just, it's easy easier to say but when you kind of talk about like network communications with ai and drone facilities that scan things and predict and do all this it's it, it you get mired in the details especially for talking about it but it needs to be said because that's the avenue to pursue in these regards that is japan society 5.0 forward today the fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 A technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. Are you ready for war? Die for the war. Everybody moves. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. A couple of headlines here and then the final article, which blew my mind when I read it. Japan hopes to shore up Philippines defense amid Taiwan conflict fears. Again, um, getting rid of India from the quad and bringing in the Philippines. Mm, could it be okay? Is, is Philippines the next Ukraine? <laughs> uh, Taiwan is more like Poland and the Philippines is more like Ukraine. Japan in talks to provide artillery shells to U.S. to boost stocks for Ukraine. Oh, really? I thought that the Russians were about to run out because they were buying all their bullets from North Korea because they're just stupid. Remember all that? The ruble will be rubble? From follower to leader, Japan's emergence as a fully-fledged regional security actor. Um, so as we can see, 
the international media, the think globally people, they are pushing Japan into like this. Hey, you you can be a war guy. That's what the U.S. really likes to do. Huh? They come in and they say, no, 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 no. You can't be a war guy. Don't don't be a war guy. And then they're like, hey, you know what? You can be a war guy. Why don't you be a war guy for a while? And everyone's like, look at Japan. They're being war guys. And everybody in Japan is like, we really don't want to go down this route. We have like fewer and fewer people that are being born. Why should we be preparing them to like go off to some sort of Taiwanese conflict so that the United States can create another Afghanistan? Actually, most people, most Japanese people don't think that way. They would just think like, war in Taiwan? Anyways. This is going to be the final article for today. And as we can see from the lists of uh, headlines I just read, there's like this idea of, of Japan and the Philippines, Japan and Ukraine, and, and it's, it's all like this, hey, this security bolstering support. And that also extends to um, Taiwan as well as a focal point. And that's going to be where we're going to end today from the diplomat.com. Uh, I'm going to read a bit from this. And one thing that I've been realizing since doing a lot of the research for this podcast and stuff like that is just how deep the American intelligence community has been in East Asia and Southeast Asia and North Asia, whatever. Not North Asia, but, you know, the Korean Peninsula to Japan down to Taiwan. How how deep the CIA has been in and all this, it, it just always comes up, doesn't it? While providing Taiwan with nuclear weapons, oh, sorry, why Taiwan should be included in the U.S. nuclear umbrella. Okay, Mr. Diplomat, let's find out why. While providing Taiwan with nuclear weapons may not be practical, including Taiwan under the U.S. nuclear umbrella is a feasible alternative. This comes to us from uh, by Yi Lang Fang and Lin Tzu Yao uh, by, on June 9th, 2023. And we're recording this on June 20th. Recently, there have been debates across the Pacific about whether or not the United States should include Taiwan under its nuclear umbrella. It is worth noting that Taiwan previously explored the possibility of developing its own nuclear weapons from the 1960s into the 80s. However, these efforts were thwarted by the United States, which is the island's only security provider. Taiwan dismantled the nuclear reactor at the National Chungchang Institute of Science and Technology after evidence surfaced of efforts to produce weapons-grade plutonium. This had significant implications for Taiwan's national defense strategy and was closely tied to the evolving relationship between the United States, China, and Taiwan. <coughs> in the early 1960s, Taiwan became interested in developing nukes after China conducted its own test. While this achievement bolstered China's military capabilities, it also posed a threat to the Chiang Kai-shek's regime in Taiwan. The authoritarian government sought to counterattack mainland China, but lacked the necessary weaponry to balance China's nuclear advancements. Fearing that a counterattack could result in complete destruction by nuclear bombs, uh, the Chiang Kai-shek government believed that developing nuclear weapons was not only crucial, but necessary. During this time, Taiwan prioritized nuclear weapons research as a benchmark policy, even secretly collaborating with Israel to develop the necessary equipment using indigenous methods. Despite opposition from scientists at the Academica Sinica, 
uh, a nuclear engineering research institute was established at the National Tsinghua University. The National Chengsheng Institute of Science and Technology under the Ministry of National Defense also participated in efforts to cultivate research talent needed to manufacture nuclear weapons. Um, all notably, military officers were sent to the United States to specialize in nuclear engineering. Among them, Dr. Chang Sin Yi played a de decisive role in Taiwan's nuclear weapons research and development during this period, even in its aftermath. This is where it gets interesting. The preamble was necessary. Chang earned his master's and doctorate degrees in nuclear engineering from the University of Tennessee. Following his graduation from the Department of Physics at the Army Academy of Science and Technology, after completing his doctorate, he returned to Taiwan and joined the first institute of the National Chengsheng Institute of Science and Technology, where he specialized in nuclear development. Chang quickly rose through the ranks to become deputy director of the institute in 1984. While highly respected by the KMT government, the Chiang Kai-shek government, Chang was secretly recruited by the CIA, who were able to monitor Taiwan's progress in nuclear weapons research and development through years of contact. In 1988, Chang defected to the United States and testified before the U.S. Congress providing evidence of Taiwan's nuclear weapons research and development. After the death of Chang... Um, of Chiang Ching Kuo, the United States worked alongside the International Atomic Energy Agency to close the laboratory in Taiwan, effectively ending the country's nuclear weapons program with President Li Teng Hui's agreement. <laughs> I'm sure he just agreed. Why not? Um, so I'm going to end it there because it goes on and on and on. But as we can see, it's like... Um, the Chinese government the, in Beijing gets their nuclear arsenal. Taiwan tries to develop it, and the CIA basically sabotages it with a double agent inside of it. And uh, now they want to say Taiwan should be under the nuclear umbrella, but we can't give them nukes because we've already taken them away from them and closed their power plant as a result. It's... Um, it's a very messy relationship, actually. When you look at the political aspect, like Nancy Pelosi coming to Taiwan, huh? They're going to show the commies what's what. Or it's like, hey, Taiwan and uh, Japan and China, we all share a unique history. But when you, as soon as you get the CIA in there, and they're like, well, the CIA helped with the Moonies and the anti-communist movement and established connections with China and Japan. And then and into Taiwan, we removed via the CIA their nuclear program, but now we want to kind of give them another program it's this incessant meddling of the of the united states intelligence community in the um in the in the korean peninsula and the japan archipelago down into taiwan as well they really just can't help themselves and i find it odd not odd but it's just kind of i didn't even know I, when i read this article i was like i didn't anticipate the cia popping up to dismantle taiwan's nuclear ambitions as china was pursuing their own it just always does um so how much of the modern world is established by this so-called um, intelligence community that we're always surrounded by and we have to refer to them as some sort of community, just like the LGBTQ community? Is there an LGBTQ community? What is this? The, what, who are these communities and why can I never see them or find them despite being constantly surrounded by them and their heads popping up every time I look into something that intrigues my interest? Why is that? I don't know, but you've been listening to the Japan What Podcast, MatthewPMBigelow.com, spy free, 
but not spy dumb. The Japan What Podcast is available at MatthewPMBigelow.com, podcasting 2.0 apps via the PayPal donation at paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast. My name is MatthewPMBigelow.com. Where's the Mad Bigelow? Until next time. Die for the war, die for the war. You.